This is the Last Call podcast with Chris Michaels, and I have a very special guest tonight. It's Greg Bolden. Greg, for those of you that don't know, is the host and managing editor of the podcast America and Bolden with Greg Bolden, which is part of the America Out Loud Network. His podcast focuses on understanding individual sovereignty and critical thinking. For over two decades, he has worked extensively in the industries of TV and film, music, photography, pastoral care, counseling, and youth ministry. He was also recently made Dean of Political Science and International Studies at good old FU, Fuzzball University. Greg, thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Man, what the... That was one hell of an intro. I love it. Welcome uh, to the show, everybody, I guess. Here I am. <laughs> yeah, right. You got to sell it. You got to. <laughs> I was like, oh, did, did he find out about my Dune, new uh, Dean assignment? I didn't know I told anybody. Just yeah, kidding. right. <laughs> Keep that under the covers. I just want to say that uh, your past podcasts this week have been fantastic. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, especially the WEF. Yeah, right. <laughs> the WEF, which How is can always I go wrong. <laughs> totally, which is always WTF. Yes. When you really think about it. Uh, but before that, you brought up Marconi and Tesla. Mm, mm -hmm. So Marconi and Tesla, I living on Long Island in New York. Oh, uh, yep. I live about 15 minutes away from where Marconi tested for the first time. Uh, so there's a whole plaque there about where he lived and what he did. Um, and uh, he communicated with that ship offshore. Yep. And I live about 45 minutes away from Tesla's lab. And I know a lot of people that um, created uh, fundraising for it to restore it all the way out in Shoreham on Long Island on the North Shore. So I don't know. I think there's something going on here where I'm resonating with this kind of technology here with radio and broadcasting so i believe that uh marconi and tesla are the two most important names that don't get enough love in society they are the two people if, if the history books should go back and teach people about them they need to go and learn about googly mel marconi and nikola tesla because they had a war of invention going back and forth that a lot of people oh, weren't yeah. aware that Marconi was using Tesla's parts to create what he was doing for wireless communications. And Nikola was absolutely obsessed with beating him. Like he was looking and trying to figure out how he could get his lab in New York city Interesting. Uh, to, to beat Marconi because he, he knew that this is something that whoever did it would get the credit. Um, and there was a fire at his lab in New York city that wiped out almost all of Tesla's work. And this is around the same time that he's getting caught up with Thomas Edison. Uh, and it's really, it's really a shame that mo more people don't know that Nikola Tesla is responsible for almost every modern day invention, including the cell phone because of the way uh, he was designing things. He, he was the first person to really understand that we were going to hold cell phones in our hands and we would have screens that saw pictures and videos. I mean, he, he wrote about this in his journals um, and people can read this at the declassified files uh, with the FBI, what they had on him. Uh, but unfortunately, Thomas Edison completely was, uh, pardon my language, he was a dick yeah. who tried to steal <laughs> everything from Tesla and uh, told Tesla that AC current 
wouldn't be uh, able to be used. And so what, what did Edison do? He went into the streets of New York with live elephants using alternating current and murdered the elephants in oh. front of ongoers in order to make people say, oh, well, we have to keep DC current. Thank you, Edison. Your current's so much safer. Oh. You know, so it wasn't until West, yeah, Westinghouse comes along and Westinghouse believes in Tesla. And so now we have AC current, which is the reason why you have safe current in your homes. And our homes uh, are powered by much more efficient electricity than what Edison had. Yeah. Edison yeah. was Edison was a real asshole. He was totally. I mean, you, you talk about some, if you read into it, especially all of those pivotal business types at that time. I mean, they were just cutthroat mm -hmm. morons. I mean, they, they did horrible, horrible things to basically keep us in the state that we're in now. I mean, the whole idea of scheduled obsolescence is mind boggling to me. Like nobody needs to buy 15 light bulbs in a year, right? Just look at that light bulb up there in Boston in that firehouse. Remember that carbon filter light bulb? There was a story a couple of years ago. It was still going 100 years later. They never turned it off. Yep. <laughs> they still use it. Yeah. So I, it's just crazy. Well, about. I, I think that, you know, the reason why this resonates with you, and it's something that some of my listeners have been talking to me about on the side. I, I've been really um, giving some thought into quantum computing. I know. And I know. I've been thinking uh, a friend of mine, she, she brought up to me about this electrolyte imbalance and yes. then it made me kind of question the graphene in the vaccines and electrolytes and whether or not frequency response, negativity, positivity that we could manifest um, the reaction to these vaccines that, that possibly the people that are having the negative reactions, it's because you believe so strongly that you're manifesting that with electromagnetic energy and those that believe it's harmless, don't give any thought to it. And the graphene is actually the active ingredient. Um, and if you look at Tesla and you look at his inventions, that would stand to make some sense. And Tesla was the first person to kind of understand entanglement and quantum computing to begin with. Um, so totally. that's kind of, yeah, that's what led me down that path for the, the show uh, and tying back to what does the WEF know? And then I watched that, computational uh session that they did and i realized wow it's very likely that they know what i'm about to say before i say it because they mm -hmm. can actually see into the future right and why aren't people talking about the fact that we've created technology that can see into the future exactly or, or have you heard of this or have you thought of this people think about something and then all of a sudden their thought manifests on their cell phone in an ad on a, on a social mm -hmm. media platform. Yep. Yep. Is it because these smartphones are smart enough to read our electromagnetic fields or is it because their predictive technology is so precise? They know what we want in X amount of months, X amount of days. I, I, I think it's a jump ball at this point. Well, I think that uh, it's not a jump ball. I believe that they do know what we want. I, if you've yeah, hear, I heard, uh, Zuck <laughs> I mean, Mark Zuckerberg's even, you know, he's had employees come out and say that Facebook knows more about you than you know about yourself. And uh -huh. I think you and I were both people that like to read between the lines. Oh, sure. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> sure, we listen to what's being said, but we also listen to what's not being said or what's being omitted. And what's being omitted from that statement is how do they know? more right. than we know about ourselves. And if you look at quantum computing, uh, supercomputers right now, they run on ones and zeros, right? So 
uh, it's very limited in the way that they can interpret data. When you get to a quantum side of things, there's no ones and zeros. There's multiple ways to look at things, but they're very expensive. And the only people that can afford these are the billionaires. Where are the billionaires right now, Chris? Oh, I don't know. Could it be Davos? Yeah, that's right. And so is it possible that the billionaires already see the future? And so this these sessions that they're having, I keep calling them the forward-facing sessions or the public part of the WEF website. Because when you watch these sessions, you'll see that there's 15 people in the audience in these small little rooms listening to John Kerry or listening to CNN's Ugh. people, right? Ugh. And when, when we see this, I have to ask, where are the 2,600 billionaires that are attending? Where's the governors? Where's the senators, the Congress people that were sent over? They're not in the seats. So this is the public-facing part of the WEF. Right. We're not seeing what's happening in the main rooms or whatever you want to call what's happening in uh, the room where it happens, so to speak. Right. They're all in these workshops, in these breakout rooms, essentially getting orders. Correct. Because I, I brought this up on a podcast a while ago that everyone says, well, the, the vast conspiracy, it just couldn't possibly be. But it's not that they are coordinating down to the most minute detail. What they do is they go into these breakout centers and these breakout rooms and they play out scenarios so that when a similar scenario comes onto the world stage, they already know the implicit plan because they've already planned it out and they've already played it through. Right. And I, I would go a step further. If you listen to my show about the uh, satanic rituals and uh, what the satanic Bible says, they have to tell you what they're going to do right? and what their intent is right. in order to be able to have their plan. So what better way to do that? But through these sessions, they put on a public website that you can watch. And then they say, well, you knew that lithium was a, a limited resource. So you should have figured out a long time ago that electric cars were not a sustainable thing. And the, the main goal was you're just not going to be able to drive anymore. We're exactly. going to control where you can go. And that's what, when I watched that session the other day, and I heard the head of science from Toyota talking about by 2030 that the lithium, the lithium that's available, will uh, we won't have enough uh, supply to meet the demand. And by 2040, it's almost doubled. And he said it would take 16 years just to widen these mines enough in order to begin to get more lithium to do it. So therefore, they're already talking about these conversations of hybrid gas, hybrid uh, battery cars, sharing one battery and spreading it out to eight different vehicles to lower emissions. But that's not the that's not the end game. To read between the lines of what they were saying as well, costs would be going up. Eventually, driving will become a luxury. And the reason why Uber was there, Uber was there to remind everybody, you'll be relying on chauffeurs. Uh, for your ride share to get the work and wherever you need to go, autonomous vehicles, because you and I, as George Carlin said, I keep saying on my show, the world's a big club and we ain't in it. We right? ain't in it. <laughs> and so you and I, you know, you better start pedaling that bicycle really well, because by the time we're in our 50s and 60s, shit, that's going to be the only way we're able to get places. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, you know, you look at these planned communities that are happening in states and the government's really pushing this. It's not just here in the United States where we're getting these planned community uh, centers where you're getting uh, small towns popping up. You're starting to see this all over the suburbs in the United States, but you're also starting to see it all over the world when they're knocking down buildings and building uh, a new style. It's about keeping everybody into a center 
and reimagining what society looks like. And you just have to read between the lines to see it all. It's not conspiratorial. No, it just it's right there. <laughs> it's rubbing some <laughs> brain cells it. together. Exactly. Right. And it go, going back to the satanic reference, yes. uh, especially with the satanic Bible that you brought up, everything has to be done through consent. Correct. Right? Everything has to be done through consent. So they understand that there is a type of karma and a balance that uh, is placed upon this planet that everyone kind of adheres to. So when they want to do something that's really nasty, they will put it out there and then you go along with it. If you're fooled by it, if you're uh, coerced into doing something, that's your own fault. We told you what we're going to do. It's up to you to figure out how to avoid that, how to get out of that situation. Mm -hmm. And that's extremely important because that relies on intelligence and it also relies on what we were talking about before, resonance of everybody around us and the resonance that we emit. Um, before we go on with quantum computing, mm -hmm. is it safe to say that quantum computers are non-binary? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Now we're getting in trouble. Can, can, can a quantum computer become um, uh, fertilized with yeah, right. <laughs> information here? I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get kicked off my own podcast now. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah. But I mean, no, it's uh, yeah. I mean, that that's a great joke that you can put into it. I love it. Hey, so, so, yeah, so, so staying with that thought. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I talk about on today's show of, uh, and for those, you know, Chris did a great job. It's America out loud network, American bold. And you can hear this conversation more in depth, but I want to get Chris's thoughts on it. So I was paying attention with WEF gives out, they give out the crystal awards at the uh -huh. beginning of this session, right? Yes. And I, I think when I think of Crystal, I think of the story that I shared today about this young lady who's a witch uh, that was taking my class. And after we had done a ghost hunt, she came up to me with a crystal and told me I need to sleep alongside of it in my bedroom to make sure I, I ward off bad spirits, right? Yeah. And so she told me she put an intent on it. Mm -hmm. I think about Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. If, if you study Crystal, the, the, the frequencies of crystals are phenomenal. I mean, there's possibilities of healing properties and different things and uh, frequencies are something we should all be paying attention to. But the other part is there's long uh, been this belief that crystals hold information. And that was the whole concept of the crystal skull and the Indiana Jones movie with George Lucas was trying to Correct. get across. Right. Yep. So these awards that are be given out, right. Was I connecting some dots there about the intent and giving it to these actors and hoping that their intent would go out and help to infiltrate the world with this knowledge and information. Am I going too far there? No, not at all. Uh, as, as someone that does uh, dabble in the esoteric arts, that doesn't mean I'm an occultist. It just means that I, I deal with energy work being a Reiki master and all that. And I have a quite a large collection of crystals um they do work they do change things um I, i've had experiences where i put a certain type of stone uh, in a necklace and uh, i would get heart palpitations from it because mm -hmm. of the frequency of the stone itself um you can if, you, if you're aware um i always say this if you think that being psychic is unique it's not it's if right. you think you're using your imagination you're not you're actually tuning into something um, so a, a good example of that, if anybody can run across this, I haven't got a little, little piece of it. It's called Lemurian quartz. Okay. 
And Lemurian quartz is really, really clear quartz crystal. It almost looks like glass if you find a good piece of it. Um, it is, sometimes a small little chunk of it goes for 2000 bucks. Um, they call it Lemurian quartz because Lemuria was essentially the Pacific Ocean's Atlantis. So it's a more ancient culture. And if you read into Lemuria, you can find out, well, now we know why Siberians and American Indians kind of have the same facial structures and have the same kinds of rituals and beliefs. It's because they probably emigrated from Lemuria as it was sinking into, you know, Asia and, and uh, the West Coast of the Americas. Um, and the remnants of that is Hawaii, supposedly. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, if, if you touch that Lemurian quartz, you get flashes of memories, either from your own past lives or different timelines. Very, what, very interesting. What movie was the uh, Lemurian quartz used in, in the movie poster? And it's prominent in the movie. Do you remember that from the 1980s? I think David no. Bowie's in it. No, I don't know. Uh, David Bowie. <sighs> was that a fantasy movie? Yeah, I think so. But I, I, Labyrinth? I, uh, maybe it was Labyrinth. Yeah, there is Lemurian quartz in there, I believe. Anyway, I, I like to... I like to think about the entertainment industry and how this stuff's all used and how, uh, you know, somebody said to me, I should do a show on predictive programming. And my, my concern about doing predictive programming and a show on it is I try to keep the journalism side strong. When I come on to your show, yeah, you can kind of hear anything. me. <laughs> yeah. You can hear me unfiltered a bit about how my mind works. Yeah. Um, but I, I worry about people uh, dismissing me or saying, well, I don't want You've got him. a reputation to make. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, um, but I, I do believe that there is a predictive programming going on. I do believe sure. that people are in tune. And I'm going to share something with you that is new. I've never told about on my show. Is it another um, song? No, it's not. Like you uh, did the other day. I know. I, <laughs> the Weezer song. <laughs> we can get to that too later. But So I have dreams where I can see the future. And it's normally with people um, that have been pregnant. And I'll be able to walk up to them and be like, hey, congratulations. And they're freaked out because they're like, two weeks pregnant, they find out, you know, two weeks later, but I get these, uh, dead relatives. They come to me in my dreams and I know it sounds sure. really weird, but no, they, it doesn't. They, it doesn't. they tell me things and I pass the messages along and it's used to be creepy. My mom has this skill too. My dad claims he doesn't dream, but my mom and I are both kind of in tune with this. Sure. Now I believe 100% that this is real and accurate because it's happened too many times not to be. If I have that skill, then there are people in this world that are also so in tune to what's going on around them that they're also able to see what's about to happen in the future. Exactly. You know, they have a, a, a some type of skill and power much further developed than what I've developed. And so that's always just made me a little bit hyper aware of my surroundings that uh, things are a little bit more um, planned out for us as yeah. far as the, where we're going than what I at first imagined. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 percent right. Um, I I've had those types of dreams too, um, but the way so what what usually happens to me is if I'm in a room with people, I can usually predict what they're about to say, mm -hmm. and for me, it sounds like it's a thought. So I can pretty much know where the conversation is going and almost repeat the words if I wanted to, but I don't because that would really make people uncomfortable. So I also pick up on emotions. So empath type right. mindsets and, and skill sets where I will understand what this person is feeling and how they're feeling and why they're feeling it. Now, it gets really fun when you're in a relationship or a damaging relationship 
uh, because you don't know what your thoughts, your thoughts are and the other person's thoughts are because you mm. confuse it because you're so intermingled because you're having, you know, you're having sex. So there's a right. huge bond that occurs there. Mm. But but you're 100 percent right where if you're having these types of dreams, there, there's a message in there for you. And <clears throat> I remember um, a, a person I, I used to know, I ran a company, very, very successful company. He was a born again uh, Christian and he had amazing experiences. And I went on an interview with him because my father knew him. And I, at that time I was down on my luck. So my dad just went here, go for an interview. Maybe you'll get something, take out the garbage or something. So I went there, I spoke with him and he started to open up to me about all of his experiences that he has, including healing cancer. Uh, before he uh, goes to engage in a new contract, he would engage in prayer with everybody on his team that was going to be working with that company. And at first, people were intimidated. But as the CEO, he's like, well, this is what I do. You can leave the room or you can join. And once he started to get people to do that, they then wanted to pray more. So it's this resonance of energy that allows them to manipulate reality. Like you're just on the cusp, I believe, of, of receiving the messages, but you can also manipulate the reality. It's almost remembering the future. You know how you remember the past? Yep. Same concept. Well, and we, manifestation. Yeah, manifestation is I've had happen and it's still happening. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of already know where my path forward is going to go. I've already manifested it for myself and it's grand. It's awesome. It's great. Yeah. You, know, I'm, you just I'm, made Dean. I mean, come on. Exactly. You know, <laughs> FU university. Yeah. Right. No, just FU. That's fuzzball university. <laughs> 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 Apparently my letter came from somewhere else then, <laughs> but you know, so a couple different things kind of sparked my interest in what you were saying there. Number one, I listened to your show earlier about sex. Uh, I think it was on Monday. Um, and then we've talked about theology a few times. And one of the things I used to talk about was the theology of the body. And I'm not sure um, how familiar you are with that or your listeners are. Uh, but it was a Catholic teaching that came out of Pope John Paul II. Um, and a lot of people, uh, I think, could learn from this a little bit. Uh, especially in modern society where Balenciaga and over-sexualizing our youth and everything else, everybody's sure. got to know what sex they are right away as soon as they're born or else, you know, that's why we got to have LGBTQ plus friendly oh, nurseries. Man. Oh, um, man. <laughs> so <laughs> it just, you know, there's no need to sexualize children that young. But the, the thing that we're, we're missing, and I think you get this even more so than I get it at, at, at times, because I think you're uh, probably you're a gym guy. I'm not really a gym guy. I'm too busy to hit the gym every day. Although I like riding a bike every day. There's nothing um, wrong with that. No, no, but I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of a little different there, but um, the body's a temple, sure. right? And so if you can forget religion for just a quick moment, forget theology, forget theology of the body. If you can just think of yourself as you get one vessel, you know, uh, somebody sent me a video earlier and I already knew this, but it was a great reminder. If I say to you, who are you? You know, you may say your name, but that's not who you are. Your name was simply a label given to you at birth. 
And then if I say, well, no, tell me a little bit more. You might start talking about your physical characteristics. No, that is simply the vessel of which we occupy. Right. Then you might start talking about your brain. No, that's just the way that those <laughs> nerve endings are firing off at this moment. Exactly. So when we strip all that away, we start to understand this body, these fibers and everything is a gift, whatever it may be that we're in. And therefore it should be respected, should be understood. Um, and so theology of the body kind of gets into this whole concept of how are we to be um, not victims of our lust, not victims of just, you know, like a dog, like wanting to hump everything that comes its way <laughs> and instead say, Hey, you know what, if I can control this, then I can control a different part of my life as well. And with that comes intelligence, you know, with the control, with the practice of abstaining from things. Oh yes. We begin to resonate ourselves to a higher level. It's the reason why I love Lent. I've always loved Lent in the church of sure. telling yourself that you can't do something on a Friday, like eat meat or giving up something because that practice of denying yourself something leads you to something higher and leads you to more thoughtful interactions on a daily basis. A hundred percent. What we're seeing right now in society is a complete destruction of theology, world's religions. We're not just talking about Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, right? You can even go to Confucianism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, 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 we're completely uh, detached from all of it. And I think that our intelligence is faltering in there because we're not able to say what is a right relationship because we have no basis to go off of. And even if you're atheist, you should still be practicing in some way the act of being able to righteously abstain from something in order to lift yourself up and over. That's meditation. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. This reminds me of uh, Kundalini. Do you know anything about that at all? No, or? I do not. Go ahead. Okay, so Kundalini uh, is basically what they consider like sex meditation. Okay. Right? So... The energy starts in the crotchetoral region, to be technical about it. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to visualize this energy as two snakes coiling up your spine that ultimately hits your crown chakra, so the top of your head. I'm picturing and Sting right now and his wife, and I don't know why, <laughs> but keep going. It's getting hot in here. Well, no, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely Because he brought up that <laughs> one time in an interview where he's, what, he, he was dry humping for four hours and didn't For four hours, yep. Yeah, yep. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never forget that. Yeah, I wish he could put that energy into making good music, but you know, he can't have everything. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started on the <laughs> boss. I, I, Bruce Springsteen, the best song he ever did was a cover of Tom Waits' song. So it's. <laughs> that, oh, come on. I, 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 <laughs> those are fighting words, damn it. How dare you talk about Bruce that way now? Politics be damned. Bruce is a damn good lyricist oh, and songwriter. Cow, huh? Oh, we're gonna have we're gonna have a fight going there. A brouhaha is a brewing right now. Next thing you know, you're gonna tell me that you like Billy Joel too. Ugh. Ugh. Get out of here with Billy Joel. Having grown up on Long Island, he's a menace to saplings and trees everywhere with his drunk driving. <laughs> Screw <Saplings>. that guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so so I came anyway, back from I, I came back yeah. from a Billy Joel concert one time. 
were you and, sober or you know, I was somebody like, pay you to go? Is that I was, it? I was 15. It was just, I was in all high right, school. All right. Youth, um, all right. But he, he had just uh, divorced Christy Brinkley and I came home with a ticket and it was Billy Joel's chewed bubble gum that he put on the bottom of the piano. I gave the uh, roadie my concert ticket. I said, I want the bubble gum. And the roadie goes, why? I said, because that used to be in Christy Brinkley's mouth in a certain <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was how that was how odd and strange i was as a 15 16 year old <laughs> oh man i was a dave matthews person okay my, i still am i mean i in my 20s i must have gone to three to four dave matthews concerts a year so that's where my money went and oh man if i can remember one of those concerts that's a that's a good day <laughs> Did you, I gotta ask when you when you go to concerts, you know, and your listeners might find this interesting. Is there ever a moment when you were at a concert as a younger person, or even now, where you're like, I want to remember this exact moment, and you know, you're gonna forget the damn thing? Oh yeah, sure. Like, like I, I used to be at every single Green Day concert, oh, and I'd be like, I'm gonna no, remember really? this. And they all <laughs> melt together now. Like I have a yeah. couple memories here and there, but like. <laughs> Yeah, it all just melds together. Well, you got to stop using all those drugs and drinking all that booze. Then anyway, lis- <laughs> listeners right now are upset with us because they want to get back the tantric uh, sex I and stings. So. So let's let's so. let's rock the shot. Yeah, but you know what? We need to we need to break down the veil every so often, right? This <laughs> is do. conversational. We don't need to be so upcoming and and always structured and everything. That's what a lot of radio people can't understand. But you're right. Going back to Kundalini. It's basically the whole idea of sex energy, and um, uh, there's a lot of misnomers with it because you can use it for that sex energy, but a lot of the practicing that's involved with mastering kundalini has to do with breath work, and it actually has to do with feeling the energy of the breath you take. So a lot of people don't know how to breathe. Mm. A lot of people breathe from their shoulders, right, from their pecs. When they inhale, they're really taking very shallow breaths. But if you want to take an honest-to-God breath, you actually have to expand your stomach. It's almost like pushing out your stomach when you inhale. Exactly. And then when you're exhaling, if you want to do a full exhale, you have to almost visualize your stomach muscles curling into your ribcage so that you are really pushing out all the air. And once you do that, then you start to realize that, one, you'll probably get lightheaded a few time, uh, for the first few times. But you start to realize that you can start shifting energy around your body. Um, and the whole idea of abstinence is extremely powerful. Like right now, out there in the world, they want you addicted to pornography because that means that every day, every few times a day, you are expelling this powerful energy that you could be using to one, shift around your body to make yourself feel better or two, use that energy to start manifesting your will. Mm -hmm. And once you start, once you start climaxing every day, I mean, you're basically in a downer state. You're, you're always chasing the dragon going after this masturbatory uh, opioid. And people don't realize that when, when you're actually trying to manifest in a, in, a, in a major, major way and you're involving crystals, you're essentially not supposed to have any sexual contact with yourself or anybody else for usually like seven days or so. Hmm, wow. And that's that's a big deal for a lot of people because they're used to you know every single day 
maybe a couple of times a day. And it's a major, major distraction. I mean, I'm sure you've read plenty of things about how it breaks down, uh, you know, all of the neurons and synapses in your brain by constantly being stimulated, which is also tied to um, erectile dysfunction. Because if you're constantly being stimulated with pornography, then everything that, you know, a regular ham and egger would do, not elite people like the fuzzball nation, everything that you see out there, right? They are triggered in a pornographic way. So they see somebody that they're attracted to at the cash register. All of a sudden, their body starts to react and pump out hormones as if they're going to climax. And so the, the problem with that is, is that you're constantly pumping out these hormones. It's not going anywhere. Then it declines. And you're pumping them out again, and it doesn't go anywhere, and it declines. And then when you finally try to do the deed with your most lovely partner, it don't work because all the hormones have been pumped out over the course of the day because your brain has been telling you you're going to get the end goal here. You're going to climax because you saw something at the cash register. I mean, it's extremely diabolical. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> I miss the simplistic days where pornography was squiggly lines on my yeah, parents' right? television. <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, your head <laughs> you still could make out anything yeah right um but did now, i see a nipple was that a nipple? <laughs> i think it was i saw my first nipple yes all right um but i think that one of the things that is shocking to me is that it's not so so when we talk about pornography a lot of people will think about the websites they can go to on a cell phone or whatever which is one of the reasons why my daughter doesn't have a cell phone um yeah. it, it's actually the main reason why it's because i find that pornography is way too accessible and children find it at a very young age because there's no way they truly block it from cell phones but that's not actually the biggest problem with pornography the problem with pornography that i see now is it really started hitting me when the show glee was on television really now, yeah, this is this is where like this this mental shift in my mindset happened. My wife and I were watching Glee because we love music and they had kind of cool takes on songs and stuff and kind of got into it. I know for some people they're like, well, that was a mindless show. What the hell are you doing? Um, but as we're watching this, I finally said to my wife, I said, this is everything that's wrong with society. Hmm. And she's like, well, what is it about the show? Is it the woke stuff? I'm like, no, it's not the woke stuff. We're sexualizing high schoolers. Like right. these are supposed to be high school kids played by 20 some year olds. You have a bunch of men that are looking at um, who was Leanne or whatever the lead was there. She was on Broadway and they're looking at her as like an object of desire. And then what you're unconsciously doing that becomes almost pornographic is the fact now we are age uh, appropriating a high schooler with an adult audience and lusting after that. And I, I see that continuously on television now. Disney was, you know, uh, Hannah Montana, right? Oh, you, you saw everybody fall in love with Miley Cyrus, and we see how that went. Um, yeah. But my, my point is, we're taking uh, 25-year-olds, telling them to play a 15, 16-year-old on a television show. The 25, the 45-year-old is watching that character. And this goes both ways. I mean, men and female. 
right? Because yep. there are there are 25-year-old men playing 16-year-olds that 45-year-old women are like, oh my God, he's he's so handsome. I'd, I'd love to sleep with him. That's a problem. That's sure. normalizing a culture that looks wrong. And as a high school teacher where I oh, look at these man. kids and I'm like, hey, these kids could be like my, my children. Like, uh, it just makes me want to punch somebody in the face when I see programming like that. So when we talk about pornography, I think it goes more than just what people are impulsively looking at on their cell phone. I think it goes into the daily programming on Netflix and everywhere else. I wish that there was some way we could tell directors like, Hey, can we cast people that are actually the age they are and have it appropriate? Otherwise we're just contributing to the problem. And when we watch that stuff, we're just reinforcing our synapses in our brain to go with it. Yeah, totally. I, and I think um, the other issue that, that people don't realize what's happening is tied to this transgender uh, sexual identity movement mm-hmm. right now. I mean, you've got children, children, first graders, second graders, third graders, looking at essentially pornographic how-to books. Yeah, somebody on- just said to me, that book about uh, blowjobs, right? They said, you know, That's should, one of them. Yeah. Should, this, should this be banned? And of course, it's, uh, it's got the graphics of a person going down on the on the the girl but and then she's got like a strap on or something um you know and i I, looked at and i said yeah it should be banned and they said no it shouldn't you know this is free information kids learn differently i'm like whoa whoa, whoa. hold on hold on this is the problem if you go to fcc standards which you and i understand oh yeah obscene right (laughs) what is obscene sex education (laughs) sex education right (laughs) words we can't say on your podcast (laughs) of course i can Uh, (laughs) i won't (laughs) um let's go through them do you know (laughs) i do (laughs) i'm well versed (laughs) i'll see you next tuesday (laughs) buddy exactly exactly Um, so (laughs) jesus now i forgot my thought no, no, uh, you're, you're talking about uh, sexualization. Yeah, so sexualization, and I, I made a no, no, no. Oh, obs- uh, what? Yeah, this book, right? Right. So when we look at this book, I, I go, look, I would accept it in the school if they were talking about something from oral sex, and here's the STDs that you can get, and then I would say there's an age-appropriate time. No, a fourth grader should not have access to that in their library. However, when you're in sixth grade and people are reaching puberty and stuff, maybe it's time to talk about like, hey, there's STDs out there. There's things and this is how different things spread. But that book was the book that we're talking about, which I, I think we're on the same page. Yeah. yeah. It was specifically about a. Uh, it was a how to book. A how to of, you know, blowjobs and everything else and using yeah. the words which are obscene instead of educational. And so, right. again, as, an, as someone in education. I look at as, was it the proper terminology or not? If it's not the proper terminology, then it's pornographic. If it's pornographic, it doesn't belong in our libraries, period. No, exactly, exactly. And I think there's something that's even more damaging to children. And I don't think a lot of parents realize this because a lot of parents right now, at least what I see on social media, is, oh, my my five-year-old has suddenly determined that uh, they want to be the opposite sex of what they are. First off, it's a five-year-old. That's bullshit. Right? It, it, the kid is five years old. The, the kid can't even tie Correct. its shoes what, what, yet. What, what the kid, so, so to put that in perspective, my, my five-year-old son, you know, I have a, I have a daughter uh, who's three years older, and when he was five, yeah. he would put on my daughter's uh, princess dresses. Uh-huh. 
and he'd walk around, right? And he'd sit there and he'd play and my daughter would think it was funny. Never, <laughs> never in my mind was I ever like, oh, take off that dress because you're playing make-believe. There yeah, was nothing about that kid that he was like, I can't wait to be a woman. And I wonder if like, we don't have to check the mental status of some parents of when they see that a kid is just being a kid and playing around. Like here's another example. Um, I had a, a conversation with a parent recently who said that they were concerned about their child because they said that, you know, they didn't want to be referred to as a princess anymore. They want to be called a prince. Oh, and he was like, Oh my God, like she's in fifth grade. What's going on? And apparently when he asked the clarification questions to a 10 year old, now five years older than a five year old, a 10 year old, uh -huh. it was, well, no, I just like hanging out with you, dad. No, I just like things that most girls don't like. Like I like playing sports and what it came down to was she just wanted to be a tomboy. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Didn't want to change, but we have gone so batshit crazy with all of a sudden now, you know, when I was joking earlier, I was being serious because it's a real thing like LGBTQ friendly uh, two-year-olds and three-year-olds oh. um, were, were taught about that. There's no need to sexualize like thank you you know so as a heterosexual male i do not walk around and i've never walked around at any point in time and even in high school i thought this was really strange when guys you know do the whole thing like who are you sleeping with or you know, yeah, right. you're, you're such a nerd you're a virgin oh what? right like <laughs> i always thought that was really strange but that's the modern day equivalent of what's happening at this point of people being like hey my name is greg and i'm a heterosexual how are you like, exactly. When did that exactly. become part of our identity that needed to be broadcast when we first meet people? Thank you. That's exactly what I was going to say. Why is identity tied to sexual preference, mm -hmm. especially in children? Because these kids are going to grow up with the idea of, I am not an astronaut. I am not a scientist or whatever. I am attracted to vagina. I'm attracted to penis. Or I identify as a dog. I can't a wait to I can't wait to cut that audio and uh, use that against you later. Just <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be it's gonna be terrible. It's gonna be a great show. I can't wait to cover it on my show. <laughs> just in Chris Michaels loves penis. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I just can't get enough of it. Oh wait, 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 wait. Do you I'm, want adding, this? I'm adding that audio. Keep it yeah, going. Know, Let's go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me pretend to to talk with a mouthful. For work, <laughs> I want you to know that. <laughs> Can you do it with your German accent? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> a mouthful of dick and a German accent with balls slapping my chin. Holy shit. I don't know if I can do that one. On, I'll, I'll, I'll get the sound effects. <laughs> oh, man. I hope that's coming from the cheeks that are around your teeth and not any other pairs of cheeks. It's a water bottle. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being very clear. <laughs> So yeah, this isn't on video, and we have to use the theater of the mind here. I feel so. bad for your <laughs> listeners because I have no idea what the hell you're going to actually title this episode. Oh man, it's going to be esoteric teachings with Greg Bolden. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the thing, though. Like, why are why are we forcing kids to become sexual objects? What what why? There's no point to that um, unless you look at it from a more dark perspective and you know that goes back to the satanic angle and mm -hmm. also how they're trying to introduce that luciferian satanic angle 
into society on a, a, on a grand scale. They're trying to make it mainstream because it seems as though they realize that their secrets can't be kept any longer. So they have to drip, drip, drip this idea of, oh, we need to sexualize children. We need to be able to do drag shows in front of four-year-olds where they can put dollar bills in my banana hammock. And like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, everyone loves, oh, it's RBG. Thank goodness for her. But she wanted to change the age of consent down to 14 years old when she first started. Right. And they're going in that direction anyway. Why can't kids just be kids? Well, you, you know, know what the, I mean? The, the policies of the hospitals now, um, you know, having a child, I can share this. It's now 12 years old. And at the age of 12, you can no longer find out what was discussed with the doctor. Are the you only kidding? Thing, the only thing you're allowed to have access to is the medical diagnosis and what the treatment will be. So if your child is sitting there and having that conversation of like, hey, I, I feel like a boy or I feel like a girl, the doctor can't have that conversation with you. They can only say what the secondary part of the diagnosis is, if, if that even is a diagnosis. Otherwise, it doesn't get written in the notes. Unbelievable. Yeah, you can you can look that up. Your listeners, if you go to uh, any of the children's hospitals documents, look up um, patient privacy, and you'll see that the federal laws and state laws have all been changed over the past three years in order to adopt this. And then by 18, you, you're, you're shit out of luck. You're not going to know anything about your child. Yeah, totally. That's insane. That's insane. That reminds me of a document I was reading a couple of weeks ago. They described kids as quote unquote mature minors mm. when it came to whether or not they wanted to get a COVID vaccine. So in New York state, these kids, uh, I think the legislation is up for a vote. These kids can, you know, go to school, go to a doctor, go to CVS or whatever else and say, yes, I want a vaccine because of whatever reason. I mean, I can only imagine the propaganda that's faced with the that these kids are facing in these schools. So I, I will tell you, I I, um, I just spoke with our school um, resource. So in our school, we have an outside agency that's a hospital. And they promote the COVID vaccines uh, with gift cards and everything else. Now, I covered it on a show back about a month and a half ago, and I've now put my foot down. I refuse to do the announcement. And I'm in charge as the audio, radio, video guy of doing the announcement school-wide each day. And so the compromise is if there's a student that's willing to make the announcement, the announcement gets made. If not, they can do one of two things. They can find another teacher willing to make it, go over the intercom, or... Uh, they can just accept that it's not happening. And so she asked me, she's like, why, uh, why are we not hearing your voice make our announcement, Mr. Bolden? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's very simple. I've like, you know, Dr. Uh, Paul Offit, uh, who was at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, who voted for the vaccine for children, has now regretted his decision and said that children don't need the vaccine. Uh, he's even saying that the risk that you're putting the child to is greater than the reward that the kids aren't dying from COVID. Right. And as a result, there's a higher uh, odds for myocarditis than there is of death of COVID. So therefore, most people don't need this. Right. Um, I, I would argue people don't need it. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm in that. Camp. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but I'm just going with, you know, keeping yeah, it, know. you know, based upon the, the current science. Oh, yeah. Trust um, the science. But, but she goes, oh, okay, well, would you like to talk to somebody from Christiana Care? And I said, yes, I'd love to. And can you make sure it's on the record? Yeah. I'll put them on my show. 
<laughs> yeah, let's talk. That that, con- that conversation ended really quick, but <laughs> sure it did. <laughs> you know, we are, and then you know, to, to go from that whole thing too, like the there's a professor that changed the definition like three years ago of a pedophile to a map. Yes, a minor attracted person. Uh huh. Like, I saw that. Um, can 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 I bring back flogging and public execution? Like, oh. can, can we do this? Can we? Is is that is that frowned upon still? Is the death penalty still a thing? Tarring, feathering, gallows. I'm all set. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I. So you know, as somebody who worked in the Catholic Church through the abuse, as somebody who um, had dealt with my own issues with priests trying to groom me, which thank God oh. nothing nothing happened to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I was wise, but I I, I still was a victim of it, and I, sure. I I'm happy to you know tell people not happy, but. I'm happy to share my story if it helps other people's. Well, uh, let me let me share one quick story. It. Yeah, go ahead. I'm being raised Roman Catholic. Uh, for my confirmation, you know, mm-hmm. the bishop was in town, you know, shaking hands or whatever else. I don't remember this, but my parents tell this story all the time. When the bishop came out to shake my hand, I kicked that MF right in the shins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I did it. I don't remember this at all, but it is a story that everybody in my family knows. <laughs> and every and time was, I see them, I have to relive it. <laughs> and that was restored order. You were just a baby. No. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, no, that was last year. <laughs> uh, uh, no, only, only the theological people will get that joke. Yeah, right. Um, so what I was going to say, though, is pedophiles, right? Yeah. The, the Catholic Church had pedophiles. Uh, there are pedophiles that, you know, are in people's families and is the one thing, the only thing, Chris, that I do believe in the death penalty for. There is oh, nothing yeah. more precious, nothing more precious than youth. And for somebody to victimize a young person, which means you're going to create trauma for the rest of their life, which means you're now putting a ripple effect of trauma into the rest of the world because that person's now going to affect everyone else that they meet there is no spot for that. So this, this whole trying to rebrand a pedophile as a minor attracted person. No, it's a disordered individual that needs psychiatric help and should not be allowed near anybody's children, including their own family's children that are around them. Absolutely not nowhere near. And here's a dirty secret that nobody wants to talk about. So the Hamptons out on the East end of Long Island, where all of the yuppies go to, it is mostly on the south shore of Long Island. And then they, you've got Sag Harbor, which is on the north side of the south fork of Long Island, because Long Island eventually forks mm-hmm. into wine country. And then on the south, you've got all the Hamptons, and then you've got Montauk and, and uh, Camp Hero and the Montauk Project and all that. Oh, yeah. Stranger things. Keep going. Exactly. <laughs> so on the north side of the south fork, you have a whole pedo cluster Hmm. they don't know where to put these people so they put them over there in a few like trailer parks or whatever there's no reason for any of this to be out there There, there's no reason to make children be sexualized there's no reason for pedophilia none of it i don't care how you try to square that circle it ain't gonna work and the other the other disturbing fact with all of this is you know these drag queen story hours mm-hmm. story yes. time yep, yep. you know what yep. yeah so apparently in most of these states that this occurs in if you legally change your name 
they don't allow you to do a background check on your first name, on your original name. So you don't know who is actually reading to your kids at these mm-hmm. drag, t- drag uh, queen story hours because you cannot legally do a background check on these people. Yeah, I mean, and so the the whole part of rebranding the whole pedophile terminology was psychologist, which I think, <laughs> I, I, just for the record, I believe that psychologists do do good to help people with, you know, their mental problems and issues that, that I believe in, in mental health care. That all stated, I believe this whole coddling of terms in order not to damage people. If pedophile is a word that bothers you because you have a psychological issue, good. Yeah, <laughs> like sorry, <laughs> sorry, good. That's that's the word for it. But the idea was to take people that were on the sex registry and call them minor attracted persons instead of a pedophile in order to help protect their mental health. It, call me a heartless human being. I don't give a shit. Yeah, no, no, and absolutely not. That that that's just my hard line take. Um, and I, I told you, I'm I'm a very empathetic, compassionate person. In so many things. That's just an area where I'm not, and that comes from that experience that I had with the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I, I had a a family member that was involved in uh, you know insurance and finance. You know, one of the financial advisors, and they were dealing with um, I, I forgot the exact term, but you know, um, the ecclesiarchy. So they would ensure um, uh, dioceses and they would ensure um, like schools and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic Church came to them and said, we want you to ensure all of Alaska. <laughs> and they went, what do you mean you want us to ensure Alaska? Like what kind of congregation do you have up there? Well, it turns out that the Catholic Church, because it's essentially above the law, they round up all of their pedophiles they were sending time, them. Yeah. and they sent them straight to Alaska. Yeah. And so ultimately he went, absolutely not. We're not, <laughs> sorry, we're not insuring pedophiles. <laughs> so in, in Maryland, it, there is um, a place where the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales put all the sex uh, predators. Uh-huh. Um, in Maryland, there's also a national psychology place where any of what they call the disordered priest that need to be dealt with, they send them to the psychologist and they have to spend time there before they're released back to the public. When they're released back to the public, every diocese has places where they will put a priest because see the problem with the Catholic church is, and this is a problem. They believe that once you're a priest, you're always a priest. You're a priest forever in the eyes of Malachi. And as a result of, you know, that vow and what they do, um, they're trapping themselves with pedophiles and, Every once in a while, you get somebody who gets defrocked and delaicized. They lose all their faculties and they no longer have the title of a priest. The problem is this doesn't happen enough. Not nearly enough. (laughs) And so, yeah, like here in my diocese, you know, if somebody gets sent to the eastern shore of Maryland, they screwed up. Yeah. They weren't good enough to be in the major metropolitan parts of the diocese. Right. Um, And that's that's the dirty little secret, you know, just keep. And I'm sure you have that there in New York and all oh, and everywhere else. Sure, sure. Okay, so we're just at uh, the end because we're almost at an hour. But we've we were just about... getting started. I'm kidding. I know. We've... <laughs> <laughs> we've got about two minutes left. So I, in a minute, do you think you could do this? In a minute, can you tell me of 
a very, very exciting metaphysical style experience that you told me about before when, or as people can listen to on your podcast about the, uh, what, what was it? The, the ghost technology. Oh, yeah. So, uh, we use the spirit box. Uh, that's C- it. Yes. Yeah. CJ Faison. Uh, so if anyone's interested in finding this guy, cause I want to give him credit, he's the ghost hunter, not me. Right. So my students found CJ Faison. He used to be a NASCAR uh, racer. He now has like 500,000 people that follow his ghost hunting wow. throughout the country. And he's gone to some of the most haunted places where there's poltergeist and things. And I gotta be honest, I was a skeptic. Yeah. Um, but we had a student that had drowned at our school back in the nineties and I didn't tell him anything and you can't Google it because this they is before, it yeah. yeah it, well, they didn't cover it actually, but it's just, it's before Google would have anything that would be searched and it goes back too far. So there's no way this guy could have known. Right. And so they bring the spirit box in and the spirit box basically scans radio waves yeah. at a very, very, very quick frequency. And it's very loud. So, uh, for your listeners, it's like, stop, right? And it goes to the next word. And so you have someone sit and listen to the spirit box. Meanwhile, other people are trying to interact with the spirit. Well, CJ is at the desk and all of a sudden he starts hearing things like water pool. Yeah. Now there's nothing that says we have a pool, blah, blah. On our infrared camera, we see water droplets move from right to the left. And I said to everybody, anyone just get wet? No one got wet. And then it uh, happens again. So I walk yeah. over to this door where the, the spear box tells to go. All the magnets fell off the door and onto what? the floor. Yep. You're crazy. No, no, I'm not. no, really? My lights that had just been charged, these aperture lights started turning off as uh-huh. the spe- and the spear box was the same light off. And then bam, it would turn off. And I'm like, this guy have some type of machine. So he finally stops. He comes to the middle. He goes, I got to ask what's on this side of the school. And he's pointing to where our pool is. Now, he's never been to our school before. And most high schools don't have pools like us. And I said, there's a pool there. He goes, no way. He goes, did something happen in your pool? I'm like, well, what do you think happened? Because I didn't want to give him anything. He goes, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I keep getting this feeling from what they're telling me. And he's like, I'm not a psychic. No one talks to me. It's just what I'm hearing. Somebody decided they were going to try to get to swim, to learn how to swim better. And they had to be pulled out, but when they pulled out, they were, they were dead. Ugh. That's exactly what happened. Wow. And so you can see that video. It's on YouTube. It's got like uh 3000 view, my student page. Um, but uh, it's creepy. Um, and it, it completely changed my perspective on the occult. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's extremely, extremely chilling when you go through an experience like that, usually you get the chills or goosebumps. Oh, my hair was standing up on my arms. Exactly, exactly. Yep. That is a stereotypical type of reaction when you're presented with information that's unsettling, but it's true. Yep. So uh, when I would do Reiki or, um, or do, uh, I've done exorcisms, so when I used to do that stuff too, um, the, the hairs on my arms used to stand up when I was getting close to the target. Mm. Um, I remember one time uh, when I first moved to Arizona, I was sharing a home with uh, two other women. One of them owned the place. She was a, uh, uh, she worked for the airlines. So she was never there. And the other woman. That's a great roommate. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Perfect. And the other one was just as good because she was like a medical, uh, what they call like a medical technician. So she was out of the house, like, five out of seven days a week. So I basically had a fully furnished home 
five out of seven days a week uh, to myself. Um, but one of them was acting extremely promiscuous. Mm. So there was some kind of entity that was lurking about in this home and it really gravitated towards the homeowner's bedroom. And I remember like uh, my room was upstairs. So I had a my room, basically my own floor. And I remember one night as I'm walking up the stairs, all of a sudden I get this, this feeling that somebody is just very, very gently touching my back from the nape of my neck down to the small of my back. And I'm going, Oh man, I know what this is. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> you ever watch SpongeBob with the hat slinging slasher goes to take out the garbage. That's essentially what I did running up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> close the door <laughs> but eventually you you have to you have to face these kinds of entities and the worst thing you can do is falter like you have to have a strong conscience you have to have a strong moral code because they'll try to manipulate you too all this all this stuff sounds kind of crazy but it's actually true no i love for the people that are going to listen to this and go oh god chris you just lost me on that like ch check nah. no no i know but 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 maybe maybe people that find your show that listen to me and now are, are hearing you yeah. um what i would just say is the same thing i say all the time check your bias right ch check what you believe that you know in the world and be open to doubt what you don't know because i've experienced this stuff and uh oh, i'm yeah. not writing it off no no not at all not at all all right greg Thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up. And if people wanted to listen to you and read some of your, the lyrics of your songs, where could they go to find you? Sure, I'm on the America Out Loud Network. So you go to americaoutloud.com and you'll see my show on the show page, America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. And uh, you can find my, uh, my new hit, taking the nation by storm it's a parody much like weird al of in the garage by weezer but it's in biden's garage <laughs> all right greg thank you very much as always you can like me find me share me across all of the social media platforms last call podcast with chris michaels and last call caravan on twitter instagram and truth social greg thank you very much thank you